we're in Ecclesiastes, moving right along, and we're in chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. And last week, uh, we talked about wisdom being the application of spiritual knowledge, talked about being skilled in godly living. Uh, This week, we're going to look at the opposite picture of this, which is the picture of one who has no room for God, a fool, one who is foolish, one who lives by folly. And we're looking in chapter 10, verses 1 through 10 of Ecclesiastes. I want to ask you when you find that, if you'll in honor to our God stand. And I'm going to read Ecclesiastes 10, verses 1 to 10. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Even as he walks along the road, the fool lacks sense and shows everyone how stupid he is. If a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great errors to rest. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions while the rich occupy the low ones. I've seen slaves on horseback while princes go on foot like slaves. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed. But skill will bring success. Let's pray. Master, as we come to you, Lord, we just need you, God. As our brother and friend Travis prayed, we we want other people, God, to see that you're here, Lord. And if you're not here, then there's a lot of other places we could be at. So, Master, I ask for your anointing and that you continue to speak as this service unfolds. God, that your Spirit might touch our hearts, Lord, and that we might hear from you. And God, I just pray that you work, Lord. Um, I pray that there's a flow to this message. I pray that it's in faith. I I pray, Father, that uh, there's a fear of you that's evident. And Lord, I I just pray, Father, that you might speak freely to our hearts, Lord. We need you, God. So just touch us. In your name we pray. Amen. Guys, there was a letter a few years ago that was written by a guy whose heart, he he was a city guy. And I'm a city guy, but really I'm a town guy, because where I grew up, I don't know if I'd really call it a city, but I certainly am pretty dumb when it comes to farm stuff. But anyway, uh, this guy, his heart's desire, even though he'd lived in the city all his life, is he wanted to be a chicken farmer. And so he ordered 200 chicks, 200 baby chicks, to start his chicken farm. And it wasn't too long, just a few days, all 200 chicks died. And so he ordered 200 more. Well, just a few days later, they all died. And man, he was really upset because he wanted to be a good chicken farmer. So he sent a letter to the local agricultural extension office. And he explained his problem and how he wanted to be a great chicken farmer and everything. And he said, look, this has been my dream. And he said, I don't understand what the problem is. He said, can you help me? He said, is the problem that I'm planting them too close together or too deep? 
But here's the real kicker, guys. He got a letter back. And the extension agent said, it's impossible for me to give you a clear answer until you send me a soil sample. (laughs) Well, that's foolish, isn't it? But when we talk about in the Scripture here, when it talks about being a fool or, or foolish, folly, it's not talking about an empty head, which it sounds like in that case was an empty head. It's talking about an empty heart. Guys, it's not talking about being mentally bankrupt, but it's talking about being morally bankrupt. It talks about a life that doesn't take God into account. I want to read to you, this is a quote from Eugene Peterson. Uh, Occasionally, I'll read that paraphrase of the message, and it's not a translation, and sometimes he takes a lot of liberty because he... Uh, translates the Scripture according to modern-day culture, which doesn't fit with original languages. But it's really eye-opening at times. But anyway, he wrote this quote about our culture. And I think he hit the nail on the head. Listen to uh, Eugene Peterson's words. He says, The puzzle is why so many people live so badly. Not so wickedly, but so inanely. Not so cruelly, but stupidly. There's little to admire and less to imitate in the people who are prominent in our culture. We have celebrities, but not saints. Famous entertainers amuse a nation of bored insomniacs. Infamous criminals act out the aggressions of timid conformists. Petulant and spoiled athletes play games vicariously for lazy and apathetic spectators. People aimless and bored amuse themselves with trivia and trash. Neither the adventure of goodness nor the pursuit of righteousness gets headlines. God wants us to have a life. He doesn't want us to be bored and apathetic and and, and get up and, and just there's no energy. He wants us to enjoy life to its fullest, guys. He wants us to have a passion and He wants us to know Him and He wants us to care about people to the point that we want that to spread. That passion and that love. And, and you know, it's easy to look around and to blame everybody else for the state of our nation and the state of our state and this place here, Bristol, and even Kingsway. But the truth is, because we are Kingsway, and we need to ask God to fill us and, and to use us and to open our eyes and our hearts to Him so that we won't be foolish. Anyway, in this section of Scripture, there are four pictures we want to look at. There's a well-rounded portrait here of a fool. And we want to look at these this morning. So let's begin looking at the first portrait in verse 1. It's talking about reputation or character and how a fool doesn't cherish his reputation and character. Verse 1, as dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. In that day, they would take from the tree bark and extract from that what was needed to make a precious perfume and ointment that they would use to, you know, cover up body odor, to give a good smell. But occasionally, you know, flies, they love stuff that's, that's sweet and tasty. So the flies would fly around the bat and, you know, and one would get in there and all it would take is one fly 
And this precious ointment after a while would stink because of just a fly, a single fly, a carcass, would, would change that odor, that smell. And, and so the picture here is that, guys, we have to guard our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And it is, it is so important that we guard our hearts because somebody wants your heart. God wants your heart, but so does the devil. <laughs> and, and our heart so quickly moves away from God. And so you have to intentionally guard your heart. Because if not, there's an erosion that can take over and our foundation, it can, many, through that loose soil, the foundation can cause us to, to shift and then to fall. And many lives fall. And nobody, you know, goes out there and says, well, you know, I think I'm going to be an adulterer. Or I think I'm going to swindle thousands of dollars. Or I think I'm going to be known as the biggest lazy, no good nothing in Bristol. No, it doesn't start out that way. But there is an erosion as people slowly lose their reputation character. Uh, a few years ago, I ran across something that really caught my heart. Randy Alcorn, and you guys may not remember, we did a study on heaven sometime back and used the basis of his book on heaven. But he wrote this piece called Consequences of a Moral Tumble. It really got my attention. Because let's just, let me, as your pastor, let me just give you a heart-to-heart here, you know? Guys, we come to church and we look all spiritual and all that stuff. But we know deep inside that we're weak people. And we all may not be tempted exactly the same, but the Bible says that we're all tempted. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but He will provide you a way out so you can stand up under it. So we're all tempted, and if we're not careful, we can fall. But I think one of the great things we can do is stop and think, if I give in to this temptation, what will I lose? And Randy thought about if he was to cheat on his wife, if he was to be unfaithful, what would he lose? And I want to read to you. This is a list of what he thought of he would lose. Randy said, Whenever I feel particularly vulnerable to sexual temptation, I find it helpful to review what effects my action could have. Grieving the Lord who redeemed me. Dragging His sacred name into the mud. One day having to look Jesus, the righteous judge, in the face and give an account of my actions following in the footsteps of these people whose immorality forfeited their ministries and caused me to shudder. Then he said, I listed some names. Inflicting untold hurt on Nancy, my best friend and loyal wife. Losing Nancy's respect and trust. Hurting my beloved daughters, Karina and Angie. Destroying my example and credibility with my children and nullifying both present and future efforts to teach them to obey God. Why listen to a man who betrayed mom and us? If my blindness should continue on my, or my wife being able to forgive, perhaps losing my wife and my children forever, causing shame to my family, why isn't daddy a pastor anymore? Losing self-respect, creating a form of guilt, awfully hard to shake. Even though God would forgive me, would I forgive myself? 
forming memories and flashbacks that could plague future intimacy with my wife, wasting years of ministry training and experience for a long time, maybe permanently, forfeiting the effects of years of witnessing to my dad and reinforcing his distrust for ministers that has only begun to soften by my example. But that would harden, perhaps permanently, because of my immorality undermining faithful examples and hard work of other Christians in our community, bringing great pleasure to Satan, the enemy of God, and all that is good, heaping judgment and endless difficulty on the person with whom I committed adultery, possibly bearing physical consequences of such. Man. You see, we don't realize when the temptation comes, it just says, man, just enjoy it. Just, just. Just love it. Just enjoy it. Indulge in it. But you don't stop and think, what will I give up if I go there? What will I lose? And there is a loss. And may God just grab a hold of our hearts and help us to see that we, above all else, guard your heart. Because the devil wants to rip it apart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Um, there's a quote up here. Uh, Greg, you can get that button. By God, it was an evangelist in the early 1900s, J. Wilbur Chapman. And I thought this was a very interesting quote. Look at what he says here. Anything that dims my vision for Christ or takes away my taste for Bible study or cramps me in my prayer life or makes Christian work difficult is wrong for me and I must... As a Christian, turn away from it. I thought, man, that's some sound advice. If I could take that to heart, I'm going to have to work on that, get that in my heart. And it's sound advice. Uh, man, think about that, you know? Does it lead me to prayer, Bible study, to serving Jesus? And, and if it cramps that, then I don't need to be doing it. All right? So the first one, first sign of folly is loss of character reputation. Secondly, the folly of an unrighteous temperament. Uh, Look here at verses 2 and 3. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Even as he walks along the road, the fool lacks sense. and shows everyone how stupid he is. It says in Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, There is no God. The idea of temperament here, you know, he walks along the road, there's no sense. Listen, there is no sense to thinking there is no God and that He does not see me and that He doesn't care about what I do. He does, guys. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please the sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. But the one who sows to please the Spirit will reap eternal life. There is, there is value in our temperament, in our thoughts, and we need to be aware God's there all the time. And He sees us. And we need to ask that question. If I do this, God looking at me. Because when you don't think that way, you're thinking like the fool that says, God's not here, He's not watching, He's not looking. In 1982 on ABC News, uh, there was this interesting segment that talked about an art exhibit that was in a museum. People were lining up to look at. And this is crazy. It was, it was a chair that people would sit in and attached to the chair was a shotgun that was loaded 
that had a timer on it that said it said uh, on the display that sometime in the next hundred years the shotgun would go off. So people would sit down and they would look into the barrel of the shotgun and take their turns. And there was this long line stretching through the museum. They were taking a chance that it, when it was their turn to sit in the chair and look at the shotgun, that it wouldn't go off. And you know, people live like that today. Maybe they don't sit in a chair with a loaded shotgun. But when we live as if God is not watching us and that God doesn't care about what we do, it's dangerous. Guys, there are great consequences that unfold when God is left out of our lives. And it's foolish and there's that excitement of, I'm going to sit in the chair and the gun won't go off when I look down the gun barrel. But sometimes the gun does go off. And you and I both know a lot of people, guys, where the gun went off and their lives are in shambles. You know, maybe they didn't die, but there's some result of it. And it not only hurt them, but it hurt other people as well. Um, third, the folly of an unguarded temper. Uh, look here in uh, verse 4. If a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay errors to rest. Uh, to understand this, to read the next couple of verses. He says, There is an evil I have seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in high positions while the rich occupy the low ones. I have seen slaves on horseback while princes go on foot like slaves. Solomon was the king in a high place of position, and he saw a little bit of everything. And as he looked out around him, he saw some incompetent people who were in charge. And I believe as he looked at this, he saw how easy it is when you see incompetence to just get angry and to want to explode. And he's saying here, that is not wise. Matter of fact, it's really interesting because as you study Solomon, he had one of his boys that took over the throne, Rehoboam, there's a section of Scripture that talks about that he was doing some really stupid things and he needed to get some wise counsel. But instead of going to the people who were wise, the people who loved the Lord, he got a, some others that he ran around with who had no time for God to get counsel from. And they were young and they were foolish and that's where he got their, his counsel. And it caused the kingdom to fall apart because he went after that bad counsel. And the people got mad. And there was a rebellion and the kingdom split because of that incompetence. And incompetence can cause, it cause a lot of pain, a lot of heartache. And it's easy to just want to explode as a result of it. Here's a couple of verses. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. But isn't that true? You know, you're mad at somebody. And so you say something kind of smart and they yell back at you and it's on. Well, it's easy for that to happen, isn't it? It's on, man. But God says, you know, the way you should respond is just calm down. Give a gentle answer. And that's, that's great advice. Uh, Proverbs sixteen fourteen: A king's wrath is a messenger of death, but a wise man will appease it. Uh, man, when you come back with that wise, quiet answer, 
it diffuses that anger that's building up that, so it doesn't run amok. And then Psalm 39, verse 1. I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. Man, I love that word picture. I will put a muzzle on my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. There have been times I sure could have used a muzzle because I couldn't get it to stop. You know? What's the old saying? It's better to keep your mouth shut and let people think you're full than to open it and remove all doubt. You know? Winston Churchill was, he was a witty guy that got in a lot of trouble with people sometimes because of his responses. And uh, one of the things he said was, I've never killed a man, but I have found many an obituary pleasurable. You guys get it, you know. And he would have these, he would have these arguments with uh, a political adversary named Lady Astor. And man, they would go back and forth. And there was one night Winston Churchill at a political gathering. He had too much to drink. And Lady Astor came up to him and she said, Mr. Churchill, you are drunk. You are very drunk. He wobbled and he looked at her and he said, Lady Astor, you are ugly. You are very ugly. And in the morning, I will be sober. (laughs) Ouch. And and then it says uh, that they had a meeting at one of the castles, a political meeting, and the two of them were there, and they argued all day. And finally, Lady Astor got so fed up with Churchill, she said, Mr. Churchill... If you were my husband, I would put poison in your coffee. And Churchill shot back and said, Lady Astor, if I were your husband, I would drink it. <laughs> Man, you can, you can say stuff and before you know it, it's on. But God says, be careful. Guard your temperament. Uh, I thought about this. This is 2 Corinthians 5.19, guys. It says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. You know, God wants He wants to bring people together. That is our God's heart. I think nothing brings God joy like bringing people together to Him and to one another. That's reconciliation. What's amazing to me here, it says that God, man, He looked at the world and in Himself, in Christ Jesus, He reconciled the world. But He didn't stop there. He said it was not counting... He didn't count men's sins against them. But then He went on and He said, and I have given to each of you the message... Some translations it says the ministry of reconciliation. We're we're to have the kind of heart that wants to see people brought back together who have been torn apart for whatever reason. See, the fool doesn't get this, but the one who walks with God does. Life is short and to miss relationships will pass you by. And you'll sit back one day and you'll say, why did I do that? Why did I let the years go by? Why did I miss those relationships? Why did I let them stay Destroyed. Why didn't I, why didn't I make reconciliation? That, that's God's heart, guys. That's His heart.
Uh, all right, I'm the last one here. Um, folly of unplanned toil, uh, verses 8 through 10. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. Uh, you know, basically, in each of these examples, the worker is not paying attention to what he's doing. And disaster results because there's not planning and there's not careful attention given to the task. I mean, the guy, he's sitting here, he's uh, working on this pit, he's not watching where he's walking, bam, steps right into the pit and falls. Uh, another guy breaks through the wall and gets bitten by a snake because he doesn't watch where he's what he's doing. Uh, another guy, he's quarrying stones, he's injured by them. A guy's splitting logs. Um, and then I thought it was interesting here, it talks about the axe being dull. You know, it's really stupid not to stop and sharpen your axe. You can't really cut a lot of wood that way. And so it's important to plan and important. Um, I thought of this falling into a pit reminded me of a story <laughs> of this drunk. And he... Uh, Oh, he was walking down toward this cemetery, and he bumped in this little boy, and the little boy said, Sir, you don't want to go over there to the cemetery. It's a scary place. Do you know what happens at the cemetery? And he goes, No, no, what? He said, Well, he said, St. Peter and the devil at night, they argue over there over souls, and they divide them up. And he says, If you're over there, he says, Your soul might go the wrong place. He goes, Boy, where'd you hear that stupid stuff? Get out of my way. He started wandering over to the cemetery and wasn't watching where he was going and he fell into an open grave. Well, he just started sleeping it off. Well, he woke up. It was night. But what he didn't know was there were these two boys. There were pecan trees in the cemetery and these two boys had been picking pecans. And they filled one bucket and put it over a tree by the open grave and they had another bucket of pecans and they were sitting not too far away and they were working on these pecans and and they decided they were going to split them up evenly so this drunk he wakes up and he hears them talking and it's dark by now he says and he hears them over there talking one nut for you one nut for me one nut for you one nut for me well this goes on for a little while the drunk's thinking what in the world's going on over there then he remembers a little boy saying, you know, they're splitting souls, Peter and the devil. And he goes, oh. he says, one nut for you, one nut for me. And then after a while, the little boy says, well, that's it. All that's left is we need to go over there by the tree and get the rest of those nuts. And boy, that drunk jumped out of the grave in one leap and took off. Because that's where he was, you know, over there by that tree. Um, Guys, we have to be careful and we have to think through what we do or we can get in trouble in our work. We're not watching what we're doing. Matter of fact, as I thought about this, I was looking at it, I found this example of a hundred major corporations and they talked about interviewers and job applicants and there were a lot of these, but I just picked some of them to share with you. It's amazing to me how people will go in unprepared 
Listen to some of these incidents. These are actual interviews from corporations. They asked um, these employers to list uh, some of the biggest offenses in interviews. Uh, One interviewer said he was so well qualified, if he didn't get the job, it would prove the company's management was incompetent. Uh, One interviewer wore a Walkman, and she said she could listen to the music and me at the same time. Uh, One guy um, who was a balding candidate excused himself and returned to the office a few minutes later wearing a hairpiece. One applicant challenged the interviewer to arm wrestle, you know. Uh, asked to see the interviewer's resume to see if the personal executive was qualified to judge him as a candidate. You know, um, wouldn't get out of the chair until I would hire him. I had to call the police. When I asked him about his hobbies, he stood up and started tap dancing around my office. Um, bounced up and down on my carpet and told me I must be highly thought of by the company because I was given such a thick carpet. Listen to this one. Took a brush out of my purse, brushed his hair, and left. Um, Just a few more of these. During the interview, an alarm clock went off from the candidate's briefcase. He took it out, shut it off, apologized, and said he had to leave for another interview. Um... Asked who the lovely babe was pointing the picture on my desk. When I said it was my wife, he asked if she was home now and wanted my phone number. I called security. (laughs) Um, And one more. Pointing to a black case he carried into my office, he said if he was not hired, the bomb would go off. Disbelieving, I began to state why he would never be hired and that I was going to call the police. He then reached down to the case, flipped a switch, and ran. No one was injured, but I need to get a new desk. Um, you know, amazing what people will do. The, the point here, though, is you know, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. That there's value in thinking through what you're going to do. Um, I, I ran across this uh, quote about organizing. It said, organizing is what you do before you do something so that when you do it, it's not all mixed up. Another guy said, lots of people confuse poor management with destiny. There is value in thinking through what you do. And it's foolish not to do so. Um, You know, when it comes to fixing things, I feel like Bill Cosby from the Cosby Show. I really can't fix much of anything. It's not my gift. But anyway, um, I was always been amazed with Cindy's dad and that he can fix just about anything. But one thing I've noticed about him is before he works on a project, he will find any instructions that are available and read the instructions carefully cover to cover. I mean, man, he'll study those things and then he'll proceed to do the job. Me? Just jump on it. But I don't know what I'm doing. That patience, that time that's taken to study the directions and instructions, obviously it pays off. And there's great value in that. Um, Guys, ways that we can do that in our spiritual lives, it's not a waste of time to pray. 
We think we need to pray so we can get on with the work. I love Oswald Chambers' quote where he said, Prayer does not prepare you for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. I'm not diminishing what we do, but let's not kid ourselves. God better show up. And so prayer is critical. Um, Secondly, be willing to take advice. The uh, Bible says in Proverbs twenty eighteen, make plans by seeking advice. If you wage war, obtain guidance. Um, you don't know everything. I don't know everything. Find some good people and just say, help. Help me do this. And there's great value in that. And third, be flexible. If the plan's not working, be willing to change it. You know, someone said the eleventh commandment is thou shalt be flexible uh, um, so that thou shalt not get bent out of shape. You know, and there's great truth in that. Um, Close uh, with an illustration Uh, that happened a few years ago where there was a photographer from a major magazine that was out um, during one of those huge forest fires, you know, that that occurred and the fires were spreading. And his job was to get some pictures. But the smoke was so thick that you couldn't, you know, take any pictures from that angle. So he called his corporate office and he says, Guys, I, I need somebody with a plane so that I can fly above and get some photographs of this fire. That's the only way. So he goes, No problem. Uh, there's a small airport not far from here. We'll have a plane ready. You just go, get in, get the picture. Great. So, you know, he heads toward that airport, gets to the runway. There's a plane warming up out on the runway. Looks great. Runs out there with his gear, jumps in the airplane with a guy and says, "Um, fly up in the air, head to the north. He says, I'm going to get some pictures of this fire. So the guy, man, he just takes off plane soars up into the sky and he says, now what I want you to do is take three or four low dives as close as you can so I can get a good photograph of this picture. And the guy goes, what? He says, I'm a photographer, man. I need you to get down low enough so I can get these pictures. And the guy says, you mean you're not the flight instructor? Uh Uh-oh! But you know, guys, here's the value... Sometimes that's how we live. We say, I'm going to jump on board. But see, there's only one pilot that can navigate us through life. Every other pilot's destined for a crash. And only the Lord can navigate us properly through life. Without the Lord, as a matter of fact, the Scripture says, without the Lord, we're headed for an eventual, inevitable crash. He is the only pilot that can take us safely to the destination. And and so as I close this message, uh, my plea to each of us is that we listen to Him who is the only one, Jesus Christ. The Bible says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Who is Jesus to you? Is He the one to whom you look to for life? Have you trusted Him in your heart? Or is He just someone that you've heard about? I pray that if if you've never really committed your life to Him, that you would now.
that you would just simply pray, God, forgive me. I need you. Enter my life. Give me a new start. Be my pilot. And he'll do that. If you need to come and you just need to pray, maybe you feel like you've been drifting, you've been jumping in planes where you don't know who those pilots are, and it's caused some real problems, God says, let's take a new start. Come, pray, follow Him. However God may be speaking, I just simply ask we obey. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for opportunity, God, to uh, come to You. And I just pray that you might be free to say what you want to say and do what you want to do in each heart. And I just pray that all of us here just simply say yes to whatever that may be. And it may be to say, Jesus, enter my life, forgive me of sin. It may be, Jesus, I need to start new with you. Because I've been in the wrong plane. It may be, God, I just need to come pray at the altar. I, I, I just lost sight of you. God, whatever, I just pray that you bring people in obedience. And that we just simply say yes to your call. We need you, Lord. And we just confess, come, Lord Jesus, come. In your name we pray. Amen.